<coughs> the reading is uh, 2 Samuel 8 and can be found on page 311, 311 in the Red Bibles. Uh, we have Bibles in other languages and versions available at the back and page numbers for those are on the screen. To Samuel chapter 8, on page 311. In the course of time, David defeated the Philistines and subdued them, and he took Metheg Ammah from the control of the Philistines. David also defeated the Moabites. He made them lie down on the ground and measured them off with a length of cord. Every two lengths of them were put to death, and the third length was allowed to live. So the Moabites became subject to David and brought him tribute. Moreover, David defeated Hadadazer, son of Rahob, king of Zobar, when he went to restore his monument at the river Euphrates. David captured a thousand of his chariots, 7,000 charioteers, and 20,000 foot soldiers. He hamstrung all but a hundred of the chariot horses. When the Arameans of Damascus came to help Hadadazer, king of Zobar, David struck down 22,000 of them. He put garrisons in the Aramean kingdom of Damascus, and the Arameans became subject to him and brought tribute. The Lord gave David victory wherever he went. David took the gold shields that belonged to the officers of Hadadazir and brought them to Jerusalem. From, Te- from Tabar and Berothai, towns that belonged to Hadadazir, King David took a great quantity of bronze. When too, king of Hamath, heard that David had defeated the entire army of Hadadazir, he sent his son Joram to King David to greet him and congratulate him on his victory in battle over Hadadazir, who had been at war with too. Joram brought him articles of silver, of gold, and of bronze. King David dedicated these articles to the Lord, as he had done with the silver and gold from all the nations he had subdued, Edom and Moab, the Ammonites and the Philistines, and Amalek. He also dedicated the plunder taken from Hadadazar, son of Rahab, king of Zobar. And David became famous after he returned from striking down 18,000 Edomites in the Valley of Salt. He put garrisons throughout Edom, and all the Edomites became subject to David, The Lord gave David victory wherever he went. David reigned over all Israel, doing what was just and right for all his people. Joab, son of Zeruiah, was over the army. Jehoshaphat, son of Ahilud, was recorder. Zadok, son of Ahitub, and Ahimelech, son of Abiathar, were priests. Sariah was secretary. Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, was over the Kerethites and the Pelethites. And David's sons were priests. This is the word of the Lord. The worship time was so wonderful, wasn't it? This, when I was looking at the words we were singing, they in itself were for me 
like a sermon, something which was helping us to, helping me, I hope helping you also to worship the living God. And I thought, well, I could just stay there and we all together just continue singing praises to God. He is so wonderful, isn't he? And so wonderful that we have music which can help us um, worship him. But we have this text here, and I remember saying last time before I preached (laughs) here, I, I said, thank you to Paul. There he's sitting. Thank you, Paul. He had always given me a sermon I really enjoyed. I looked at the text and always thought, yes, 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 this, I know where we're going with this. Well, this time when Paul asked if I'd like to speak on 2 Samuel 8, um, I had to think a bit. And then I had to think a bit more. And then I said yes. And when I read the text again, I thought how stupid I was. I should have said no. Because it's one of those texts, isn't it, where you where you can have some problems. And so I told some other people that I was going to talk about this, and they said, oh, yeah, this is one of the texts which I find really difficult. Maybe you feel like that, that this is a text, one of those Old Testament texts, especially where, you, where, you, where lots of questions come up. And, um, yeah, actually, Marley, my dog, helped me to find some answers don't know if you have a dog, but my dog Marley, he's great. He greets me when I come home. It's, not, it's actually our dog. It's a family dog. He greets me. He always makes us feel better when we're not feeling good. And um, Marley and I talk to each other. We, we really do. Um, we understand each other. I talk with my, my mouth and with my hands, and I'll tell him, Go. And he knows he has to go. <laughs> and Marley talks to me with his eyes. Or he talks to me with his ears, up or down. Or he talks to me with his tail. And uh, sometimes, you might not believe this, but sometimes I literally see him smiling at me. And I think, you are such a lovely dog. He smiles, especially when I want to give him a treat. Oh, he smiles big time that time. So Miley Miley has this thing. He likes uh, sleeping in corners. And in our kitchen, we we have a back door to the back garden, and Miley, um, he likes sleeping there because it's cozy. You know, I had actually a picture. I asked Graham to take a picture for me, but it's too dark, so I don't want to show it tonight. But that's Miley's place. He likes lying in that back corner there's just one problem with this corner and the back door. When people come from the outside and want to come back in, they, will, they don't know he's lying there, and they bang against him, and he hurts himself, jumps up, and he doesn't always manage to get away on time, so he, he gets banged in quite a lot. So yesterday, um, he went to, his corner, to the corner again, although he has a lovely basket somewhere else, but that's where he wanted to go. Graham was in the shed outside, and I knew he was coming back in, so I wanted to protect Marley, you know, as one does when one loves one's dog. So I said, Marley, come out of the corner. You're going to be hurt. He looked at me, didn't move. Marley, out of the corner. You're going to be hurt. Looked at me, ears down because he loves that corner. I said, then I started talking, Marley, out of the corner, you're going to be hurt. When daddy comes back in, he will bang you, you will be hurt. 
no movement. Mali, out of that corner. Off he walked, tail down, ears down. But he didn't go to his basket. He stayed in another corner watching me, looking at me. But I'm telling you, I heard him say to me with his eyes, why are you doing that? That's a beautiful corner. Why are you wanting to hurt me that way? And you know, I had a, you, we can smile about this, but it, it just made me suddenly realize in a little way that that's what it's like with us and God, isn't it? You know, I knew things and I wanted to protect my dog. <laughs> I didn't want him to get hurt. I had a reason for what I was doing, but there was no way that he understood what I was doing, and he made it very clear that he was not happy. You see, God's ways are so much higher than our ways, aren't they? And we don't, and often we don't see the full picture. We don't see how how God sees things, the, the big picture, the everlasting picture for every one of us, but for the whole world, for all times and all generations. So that kind of helped me a little bit, thinking, well, there are passages in the Bible I might not really understand. Well, I don't. <laughs> there are things about God which, where I don't have perfect clarity, but that's okay. I want to trust God. I want to, to believe and know that he is a good God, and I want to move us into thinking about the God who is such an amazing and wonderful God that he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for us. The God who took the shame and the guilt upon himself to die for each one of us, we who deserved this punishment for offending this amazing God, this creator God, he took our punishment so that we can be saved and can be with him forever. And you know, on that I stand, on the knowledge of that I stand. And um, if I don't understand all the dealings and wheelings of the Old Testament, I do know that God is an amazing God, the God of love who loves us. So, let me push this on. Victories. We're looking at this, and if you have questions, I can't go into all the answers here about God and, and why he allowed this to happen and why he actually gave gave um, the victory today to David, who was doing some things which today we would call war crimes. But there's a book called Is God a Moral Monster by Paul, what's his name? Cohen, and he, I've read this book, and if you want to read it, um, I, I, it's, it's well worth reading, and perhaps it'll answer some of your questions as well. Is God a Moral Monster? And uh, there are other books as well, but that's a good one to read. But let's go now to, to the text, and let's have a look at David's victories. The Lord gave David victory. And he gave him victory in, in, in several ways. Uh, first of all, in terms of ge geography, the extent of these victories was 
broad, wasn't it? If we've read the text, the list of nations or kingdoms that we are given here in chapter 8 covers a good-sized area. The Philistines lived to the west and southwest along the Mediterranean coast. The Moabites and Edomites to the south, southeast and east, and Damascus, Zobah, and Hamath are to the north and northeast. Why is he fighting against his neighbors? Well, it doesn't tell us exactly, but there are enough clues in the context to indicate that these nations were hostile to David. We've known from 1 Samuel that the Philistines have needed to be subdued, and verse 3 tells us that Hadadezer was attempting to expand his power base in the region. But it's clear that to almost every point of the compass, David is going forward in victory. The Lord gave David victory in terms of success, and the extent of these these victories was comprehensive. Notice that David didn't simply repel or rebuff these foreign armies, but he dealt a severe blow to these nations. He took control of a major Philistine city in in verse 1. He wiped out two-thirds of the Moabite army, verse 2. He captured thousands of Zobah's chariots and charioteers and rendered almost all of their horses useless in terms of future battles, verse 4. He not only trounced the Syrians, but he was able to set up garrisons in their territory, verse 6. He did the same in Edom, so that the Edomites became his servants, verse 14. And he took lots of spoil from all his enemies, gold and bronze and silver, verse 7, 8, and 10. There can be no doubt that David's victories were comprehensive. And thirdly, in terms of notoriety, the extent of these victories was far-reaching. Two verses here give us indication of how the word had spread about David's victories. We read in verse 13 that David's victory over 18,000 Edomites was well known in the region. But in verses 9 and 10, we also hear about a king named Tu, who hears about David's victory over Hadadezer, the king of Zobah, and sends his son Joram on a diplomatic mission to David. We read in these verses that Tu was very pleased that his old enemy Hadadezer had been crushed by David. And of course, Tu was very wise to show that he was for David and not against him. So God gives these victories to David. He is the one, the Bible makes it very clear that he is the one who gives these victories and he fulfills his promise. So why is this chapter 8 flowing from chapter 7? It's in chapter 7, if we remember from last week and also from the week before, um, God had promised peep God's people rest in the land he was going to give them. And we can read that in Deuteronomy 12. And God had promised such a rest to David, to King David as well. And Solomon later would need such rest in order to build the temple. And our text today illustrates that it's through David that this promised rest 
has now already become a reality. It shows us that God was beginning to fulfill the promises he had made to King David and to the people. Our faith is indeed rooted and grounded in the promises of God. The covenant with Noah was marked by the promise not to destroy humankind again by means of a flood, Genesis 9. The Abrahamic covenant was distinctly characterized by promises of land, descendants, and blessing. Those promises began to take shape among Abraham's descendants in the Sinai covenant. The Davidic covenant was marked by promises of land and eternal dynasty, as we saw. Eventually, Jeremiah will promise that God will implement a new spiritual covenant based on an internalized law, Jeremiah 31. And the New Testament asserts that the coming of Jesus of Nazareth fulfills the divine promises made to Abraham and David. And the account of David's military victories in 2 Samuel 8 takes its place in the long litany of biblical texts emphasizing the faithfulness of God to his words. My friends, God fulfills his promises. When we look at the Bible, we can see again and again and again and again how God promises and then fulfills his promises to his people. I find that very reassuring, that God fulfills his promises. And again, I don't understand everything about how God does it, but I do know that we have a faithful God. And we sang this, God is faithful. God is faithful. And he fulfills his promises to the people of Israel, but also to us. God fulfills his promises. God gave David victory, but it was God's victory, wasn't it? It wasn't really David's victory, and David knew that. And David made very clear that people knew that it was God's victory and not his. It is God's victory. But God also gives us victory. And that's also a, a wonderful thing. I was, I was thinking about that a lot, that God gives us the victory. And how does God give us the victory in our lives? Well, first of all, I had to have a picture of the cross. Without Jesus dying on the cross, what would there be for us? We would forever be separated from God, wouldn't we? Because we're born in sin. We're born into sin. And sin separates us from God. And we can try so hard to try to do things to please God. And it will never be enough because it's, God is a holy God and we are a sinful people. But God sent his son Jesus so that we could come back into relationship with him, back into family with God. 
And we said earlier, he took our shame, he took our guilt on himself so that we can come into relationship with God. So the Lord gives us victory over death. The Lord gives us the victory. It says in the Bible, death, where is your sting? The Lord gives us victory so that we can, by dying on the cross for us and us trusting in him, loving him and trusting in him, following him, we will come back into relationship with God and have life with him forever and ever. Death, where is your sting? The Lord gives us the victory through Jesus Christ. Again, not in our own strength, as David knew it wasn't in his own strength. We haven't got it in our own strength, in us to come to God. But through Jesus' victory on the cross, we can come back into fellowship and relationship with God. I don't think I fully understand what this means. There's a lot I don't fully understand. That this God came into, onto this earth and died for us. But so God gives us the victory through Jesus. That's the foundation of everything. But my brothers and sisters, what does that mean on top of that for our daily lives? And just as, as David was also, when we read on into Samuel, we, we saw that, we can see that David, although he was the one through whom God did this and he gave him the victories, David still sinned. He wasn't a perfect God, was he? He was a perfect king. And the people were going to wait for the perfect king. But he still sinned. And we sin, don't we? We sin and we struggle. I don't know, perhaps you... <laughs> yes, I'm sure you struggle, as, as I often struggle as well. I want to so much to please the Lord. But often I struggle and don't please him. So what do we do about that? We come to God, don't we? We come to God. We come back to God. And we say we are sorry. And I just have to drink something. I'm sorry. We come back to God and we say we're sorry. And God does forgive us. I wonder if we could just have a moment of silence and come before God and ask him to forgive us for the things where we are really struggling.
I'm not feeling very well tonight, and I'm just wondering if we could have the rest of the service first, and I will finish my sermon at the end. Is that okay? Thank you. Sorry about that, everyone. I'm going to shorten it so this doesn't happen again. I just had to stop because I thought if I don't stop, I'm going to be on the floor. But um, it shows us that we're weak, doesn't it? It reminded me again how weak I am. But our strength is made perfect in Christ Jesus. And so I'm praying that he will speak to you anyway, um, that that, that you forget about me, but that you will remember that it's God's who gives us the victory. It's God who who does things. And we are part of God's big plan. And we are are part of God's big plan for, for, for our future, for our now, and for the nations. And, um, let me just, I, I said last before I moved out, the Lord gives us victory through Jesus Christ. It's not in our own strength, as I could see. It's not definitely not in our own strength, but he makes all things possible. So the, I, have, I just want to finish with a few shortened verses um, which mean a lot to me but which I want to leave you with that you can take them home and please ponder them one is let us run from Hebrews 12 let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us let us fix our eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith so Paul has this picture, hasn't he, of a race, that our life is, is not just a journey, it's, it's a race we're running. And we're to, look, we're, we're to look to the goal, we're to look to the end, we're to look to who is there at the end waiting for us. And, and I remember when I, uh, quite, quite a few years ago, well, when I was still living in London, before Graham and I were married, um, um, one night I, I had a dream and in the dream, um, a man, don't know what man that was, no, no face to him at all, but he lifted me on his, onto his shoulders. And when I was on his shoulders, he lifted me up. There was a cloud, and he lifted me into that cloud. And when I went into the cloud, I, I was in God's presence. I just knew this is the presence of God, and I heard a thundering G, the letter G. And it was too, too much to bear. I had to be lifted out of the, the cloud again. And then he lifted me back into the cloud. And I heard uh, there was still this, this presence, this awesome presence of God. And I heard this thunderous O oh, and out again. And he lifted me back in and then A And I came out again, and then he lifted me. And last time in, I heard this thunderous L. And I thought, goal. But the presence of of God was so strong, I I couldn't bear it. And even in my dream, this person had to lift me away out of that cloud again. And then I woke up. And you know, the, the same presence which I had felt in and was aware of, strongly aware of in my dream, the same presence was in my room. It was the presence of God was in my room. And really, I would like to be able to say to you that I, I just 
went on the floor and, and worshipped him, you know, prostrate before him, just worshipping the, the living God because he was there and he was so awesome and so powerful. But um, I'm ashamed to say I couldn't do it. It was just too much to bear. So I switched my light on, and as soon as I switched my light on, the, the presence was gone. The next day, I remember sitting with my colleagues together. We, I was working and living in London, and I opened my Bible, and I came to these verses from Philippians 3, 14. Philippians 3, I'm just looking where I can find it. Pressing on towards the goal. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. Forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. And that's what I wish for each one of us, that we can press on, that we can press on towards the goal. Who is our goal? Jesus, life forever with Jesus, which he, as before I went out, I said to you, he has made it possible by dying on the cross for us, hasn't he? He has made it possible so that we can eternally be with our heavenly father. So he says, Paul says, let us press on towards it. Let's keep going in this. And yes, we are weak, as I'm reminded again. We sin, we, we are weak. We, we often, we do what we don't want to do, and we don't want to, don't do what we do want to do, what, as Paul says. But let's press on. Let's press on towards the goal. And there's this, as Paul said, this, this picture of this race. And it's not a sprint, our lives are not a sprint. It's a long-term, it's a marathon, long-term marathon, but looking, always looking not to the left, not to the right, not backwards, but forwards, looking always to Jesus, because that's where we're going to go, aren't we? That's where we want to be. That's the most wonderful place with the most wonderful person we can ever be, and that's what God has made possible. Nothing in ourselves and we need each other for this. We need to encourage each other in this. And the question's going to be, which I'm going to leave you with at the end, and you might like to ponder that later together, how can we encourage each other? How can we keep um, going when life goes up and down, up and down? Because it's not easy, is it? It's not easy to be Christians. It's not always easy. It's not always just... Um, just wonderful and glorious. No, it can be really, really difficult at times. And maybe you are in situations now where you feel, oh, I don't know how I'm going to keep going in Jesus. Or, oh, 
I need to give up. My faith isn't, isn't worth anything anymore. Oh, I'm in shame because I, I, I don't look to Jesus. Maybe you feel like that, but keep going. How can we encourage each other in keeping going and keeping on pressing on, pressing on towards the goal, pressing on so that we can together stand before the throne of grace and worship him together from all nations, all tribes, all people groups, standing before the throne of God as one people, God's people, worshiping him together. Um, I'm reminded of my, my good friend, Diane. Diane, um, she walked with the Lord, and the Lord always walked with her. Diane had a very difficult life, and when she was only in middle age, she started having signs of Parkinson's, which got worse and worse and worse. And if you know that disease, it's a terrible disease. And in the end, she could, she could hardly walk at Well, in fact, she couldn't walk anymore. She was in a wheelchair, and she was shaking, and it was, she could hardly talk anymore. She could only whisper. But um, on top of that, and if you didn't think that was enough, on top of that, she started having cancer, cancer of the womb. And she had many operations, but the cancer then moved into other parts of her body, and she was dying. So Graham and I went to see her um, in the hospice in Gravesend in Kent, um, where we had lived before we had gone to Germany, before coming to Manchester. We were long-standing friends, and we went to see her, and really it was to say goodbye to her, because we knew um, when she was back in the hospice, she would be, she would, it, she didn't have long left. And we went, and it was a time of, of crying, and it was a time of, it was saying goodbye. And um, it was a very sad time. And at the same time, my friends, it was also an actually very wonderful time, because just before we left, we prayed together. And Diane took my hand. She was lying on the bed, Parkinson's riddled, cancer riddled. She took my hand and she said to me, goodbye, Zabina. We will see each other again. We will see each other again. And I said, yes, Diane, that we will in God's time. God held her to the very, very end. A few days later, she was with him. And that's what I long for you and for me, that we will stay firm and that we will keep moving towards the goal in Christ Jesus. Also remember Rob Turley, one of our brothers here, on the morning of the day when he went to be with his Lord, he said, it is well with my soul. I'm going to cry in a minute. <laughs> with joy, really. That's what I long for you, and that's what I long for me. That we can say on the day we go to be with our Lord, it is well with my soul. That we will be able to say like Diane, I will see you again. And that's made possible through Jesus, through the triumph we have in Jesus, not in ourselves, 
but in Jesus. And if there's anybody here tonight, if there's anybody who doesn't know the Lord Jesus, if there's anybody who's thinking, oh, I'm not sure about all this, I beg you, look at God's word. I beg you, test him out. Say, Lord, if you're really there, then make it known to me because I can't do this in myself. Please, please just let me know that you are true and you are real. I beg you, for your sake, come close to him because he wants to come close to you. Brothers and sisters, that's enough for me. Didn't faint. Thank you for having patience with me. Forget, forget me. Forget that um, I didn't feel good. But don't forget God's words. He loves you. He loves us. He wants us to press on towards the goal. He will give us the triumph. It's not in our own strength. Like David knew, it's his triumph. And let's give him all the glory which he deserves. Amen. Amen.